Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast, where we try to push the boundaries of your knowledge, try to create with ways that we can all live better, be more harmonious, be healthier, be happier, and be more connected. Beautiful, nice intro, Steve. Thanks. Trying something different? <laughs> sure, have a Love shadow. it. Okay, question for you. So what does Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Djokovic, and Messi have in common, Steve? Uh, they recover from inflammation really well, and they are excellent at recovery. Correct. But they're also plant-based athletes. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, a perennial question that a lot of people will ask anyone that eats plant-based or the perennial question that we've got for the last 20 years when we mention what we eat, they go, Where do you get your protein? Where do you get your protein? Okay, this episode is all to answer these type of questions. Where do you get your protein from? Where do you get calcium from? What are the best foods to eat to put on muscle? What are the best foods to eat to lose weight? What are the best foods to eat if you want to run a marathon? And... This was a wonderful conversation with Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek. Both have just written New York Times bestselling book called The Plant-Based Athlete, where they interviewed 60 of the world's leading athletes that are plant-based to understand what do they eat, why do they do it, how do they believe it affects their performance. Yeah, fascinating. It was, it was genuinely a fascinating conversation. This is our wheelhouse. We've spent kind of 15 years in this space. I reckon I've heard everything. To be honest, coming into this interview, I was like, oh, I've heard this all stuff before. This is going to be boring. It was fascinating, highly engaging. And at one point, there was a genuine paradigm shift. So big shout out to the lads. They're brilliant. Do check, listen to this podcast. It's so good. Yeah, brilliant. So I think that's a good enough intro. I think we're going to get straight into it. And uh, we give you Matt Fraser and Robert Cheek, authors of The Plant-Based Athletes. Here we go. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, well, your book is great. It really is. And one thing which I liked about it is that it's not neither your stories. Like, as you said, you've, you've done those kind of books. This book is more... It's a bit like, you know, Game Changers came along a number of years ago and it really catalyzed a lot of people and it kind of, it, it, it brought a lot of people into this movement of eating more plant-based and certainly opened them up to it. And this book kind of seems to build on that, that it very much, it has the science and it has the stories of these world-class athletes, not just focusing on your own personal stories, which is amazing. Are, are there any stories like within it? Because there is great kind of incredible people like the Williamses and there is the you know, the um, other kind of heroes within the book, but there seems to be lots of other nice kind of under the radar type people, which people don't hear about. Could you talk about some of these stories of these incredible athletes that are doing it really for themselves rather than for the glory and the fame or the well-being within it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I love so much about this book is that we get to bring some of these stories to life that that some of these names you've never heard of before, but they're some of the best in the world at what they do. Much like a decade ago, uh, it, Matt wasn't really aware of Scott Jurek, even though he was one of the best in the entire world as a long-distance runner, ultra runner, who was plant-based and has been plant-based since the 90s. But, you know, his story was still just, it was still getting out there. And now, of course, Scott Jurek was part of uh, the Game Changers, and and we have, uh, in you know, Game Changers did so much for this movement. We have James Wilkes as one of the, the athletes we interviewed for our book, as well as Dotsie Bausch and Rip Esselstyn. So we've got four Game Changers in the book itself and tell their stories and, and tell them a little bit differently than the film, too. But then we interviewed more than 50 other plant-based athletes as well. And there are some amazing ones, like, for example, Sharon Feichman. Uh, she just competed in, in Tokyo at the Olympics in women's tennis just a, a few days ago. You know, she just came home uh, from her Olympic experience, and she is a, a, a professional tennis player who, whose career came to an end. Here's someone who'd been playing tennis since she was a little girl, uh, maybe four or five years old, spent her life playing tennis, made it to the professional level, and then injuries and inflammation set her back, and her career was over. She was done. Like, 
that dream had run its course. And then, you know, she met uh, her, her fiance who was an Olympic silver medalist uh, for Canada and figure skating. And, and he was going plant-based and uh, her trainer encouraged her to go plant-based to reduce inflammation. And she credits her trainer in the book for just planting the seed. And here's an athlete already at the top of her game, you know, one of the best in the world. And, and uh, her career unfortunately came to an end at, at a fairly young age, but she adopted a plant-based diet and very much like, like Venus Williams was able to bounce back, overcome the inflammation, overcome the injuries, overcome the soreness and, and come back and have her highest world ranking ever. And, uh, and, and she went fully plant-based, her fiance went fully plant-based. They consider themselves vegan advocates and activists. And, uh, and, and here she was at, at the Tokyo Olympics um, just days ago, representing her country, doing something she thought she'd never get a chance to do when her career came to an end. That's just one of the stories, of course. There, there are so many others. Another one that comes to mind that just unusual, and I, I'd like to share briefly, is Josh Lajani. Josh Lozani was a college football player, really big guy uh, from the, the swamplands of, of Louisiana. And he was six he foot three. He sounds like a cool dude. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a cool dude. I mean, uh, really nice guy. Uh, did actually a podcast with him not that long ago and, and met him in person a time or two. He's six foot three. He was 320 pounds, college football player, got hurt, got injured. His career was over. He went back to his real small town in the swamplands down there in southern Louisiana, was eating rabbit and squirrel and drinking lots and lots of beer and hanging out with his buddies and his family. And he gained another 100 pounds, 400, <laughs> 420 pounds, uh, really as unhealthy as you can get at this point. Not eating, not only eating some really, really poor food, just deep fried everything and tons of alcohol and being morbidly obese at well over 400 pounds. He chose a really, really bizarre sport to pursue and eventually be really, really good at. And if you haven't gotten to this story yet in the book, it's near the back of the book. He decided to be an ultra runner, <laughs> 420 oh pound, not a shot putter, not a football player uh, uh, or you know, American football player, not a weightlifter, not an Olympic lifter, not something you might think for a 400 pound guy, but no, a long distance runner. He gave up animal products or, or at least most of them for Lent. Uh, for 40 days, his wife inspired him to do that. And while in the gym, just trying to move, just trying to get some sort of movement going, doing some of his old football exercises and getting on the treadmill here and there, he discovered Scott Jurek, of all people, one of the world's greatest long distance runners. And he was inspired by Scott Jurek's story. And he decided to run. And, and he ran his, similar to Matt, actually, he, he ran his first 10K in, uh, I don't even know exactly the time, but let's, it was, it was nearly two hours, but he still wow. weighed 385 pounds when he did it. Then he would later drop another hundred pounds and take an hour off his 10 K, not a marathon, a 10 K. He took an hour off his 10 K time, just 6.2 miles. And he eventually would go all the way down to 180 pounds, which is 30 pounds less than I weigh. And he's taller than me. And he was morbidly obese. You know, I went from a hundred pound kid to 220 pounds and he went from 420 to 180 and he went on to run and run and run. And he ran 50 milers and he won one. He ran a hundred miler. This is a guy who had no business doing what he was doing. 
until he did have business doing it because he believed in himself and he worked at it day after day and he adopted a plant-based diet inspired by Scott Jurek and he realized he could reduce inflammation, drop body weight, take down his calorie intake, get a higher nutritional return on investment, uh, stop eating pro-inflammatory foods and eat anti-inflammatory foods, get a higher nutrient density uh, ratio for his calorie consumption and, 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 and thrive on a plant-based diet. And he did it and he did it in amazing fashion in inspirational fashion. And that story has inspired a ton of people who have read the book. And those are just two out of you know 60 stories, or 60 interviews and more than 30 stories that we told in depth. Um, a few other names really worth checking out their story. Fiona Oaks, who's uh, in the UK and been plant-based for five decades, believe it or not. Wow. Amazing. Jahina Malik, who's been vegan since birth, along with all of her siblings, and is a professional bodybuilder at the highest level, IFBB. And if that doesn't tell you that you can get all the nutrients and all the protein you need on a plant-based diet. I don't know what does. Kevin and Shonda Hill have been vegan since birth. And she's a world, Shonda is a world champion ultra triathlete, which is an event that doesn't take a day, like a normal triathlon. It takes like weeks to, to cycle thousands of miles and run hundreds of miles and swim dozens of miles. And she's a world champion at that. And her brother is an Olympic medalist wow, in, okay. uh, in snowboarding and an X Games gold medalist. Incredible stories. And John Joseph and and Rip Esselstyn and Brennan Brazier and Christine Vardaros and just so many others that uh, are really, really worth learning uh, about their stories and about their experiences and their journeys. People who've been doing this for decades, not just a year or two, but people who've been doing it for decades and have set world records and have been some of the best in the world at what they do. And that's what we really wanted to accomplish with this book, to share and tell the compelling stories of the world's greatest plant-based athletes. And we feel like we've done that. Amazing. Well done. Really sounds beautiful. Like I love hearing the stories. It kind of really gets the emotions going. So over the last 10 years, there's been a huge influx of people interested in eating a plant-based diet and kind of, you know, it's moved on from being some hippie ethical thing to actually being the benefits. Can you, for anyone listening who still might have prejudiced going those hippie vegans doing it purely for the animals, can you just break it down like the benefits not just purely the ethic and the righteousness and I'm better than thou sense which many vegans tend to wear in their heart can you talk about the practical application of an athlete the benefits that they can bestow by eating a plant-based diet or eating a vegan diet sure yeah I can do that and I think one of the best examples of the way that it has kind of begun to shift is that uh you know Robert mentioned several ultra runners including Scott Jurek um but like in the beginning, in the in the '90s and the early 2000s, it was it was the ultra running community that that to me kind of pioneered plant based diets for athletes. Uh, ultra running is this kind of weird sport where uh, so much it's, it's so much less about genetics and more about you know your training and any kind of edge you can get and how well you could eat honestly. Uh, and and like if you can find an edge in your diet, like people are going to kind of exploit that and use it. So I think it's not surprising that it started in ultra running and especially because ultra running is a sport that, that benefits, uh, you know, a lighter, leaner body type, uh, which people, you know, no surprise that that works well for a plant-based diet really. And ultra runners, while they're eating, while they're running an ultra marathon, they're largely eating vegan anyway. So it kind of makes sense that to eat that diet all the time uh, would benefit a sport like that. But then in the past few years, it went through like the MMA community, this, this mixed martial arts community, which is uh, you know, just kind of the opposite to me of, of ultra running. It's about quickness and speed and strength and power. And then from there, we've seen it go through tennis, 
Um, now it seems happening a lot in like the powerlifting world and even the strongman, strong women world, which is like the total opposite of what we think of when we think of that old image of like the, the frail hippie vegan who, who you can imagine being an ultra runner, but it's hard to imagine that person uh, setting a, a record in, in deadlift like like Nick Squires, for example, has done. So um, I think like that that is starting to to change that that image of, of what a plant-based athlete is. But as to why it actually works, every single athlete we talked to, I mean, probably literally every single one has talked about recovery as the main benefit. Um, I think I remember back in, in Forks Over Knives, uh, Mac Danzig was the MMA fighter there. And he yeah. mentioned specifically that the plant-based diet helped him recover faster uh, from his workouts. Brendan Brazier, who wrote the, the Thrive series of books, which was instrumental in, in my own development as a plant-based athlete. Uh, he was in high school. He was looking around. He wanted to be a pro triathlete. He had determined that already. And he just started experimenting with diets to find the one that, that best worked for his training that helped him recover the fastest so that he could get the most workouts in. He could get more than one per day and the competition could only maybe get uh, you know a handful per week because the recovery time. And he said plant-based was the one that, that let him get back out there the fastest um, you know, in, in these much, much smaller, for me, like the more recreational example, it showed up as not getting injured finally. And, and when I became an ultra runner and fully vegan, like I got injured so much less than I had, you know, in, in the pr previous half of my running life before I was eating a plant-based diet. Um, so I think for a more recreational athlete, rather than like getting more workouts in, which is not usually most of our goal, it means for that same fixed number of workouts that you're going to do during a week, you, you have, you recover better for each one so that you get more out of them. More importantly, you don't get injured. I mean, at least your, your rate of injury, your likelihood of injury goes much down if you're better recovered. So that's the big one. It's recovery. Um, you know, why does plant-based diet help people recover? Largely to me, it's the anti-inflammatory, um, you know, the high anti-inflammatory content of the diet that is so many of our foods in a plant-based diet uh, are high in anti-inflammatory compounds. Whereas in an animal-based diet, you have so many pro-inflammatory foods in there. So with plant-based diet, you've got the, the tart cherry juice, the ginger, the turmeric, all these foods, the leafy greens, these things that are really just known to be great anti-inflammatory foods. And of course, if, if you're, you know, if you're dealing with tearing down muscles and rebuilding them, then inflammation is obviously going to be something that gets in your way if it, if it, you know, is too much. It's and for, slow down your recovery. And for anyone listening, for anyone listening, like inflammation is like how I see it is it's the swelling. It's a natural process that happens. Like when you do some athletic pursuit or if you bang your foot, it swells up to protect it. And that's inflammation. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. And, and some inflammation is a good thing. It's a natural response from our body, but this, this chronic inflammation uh, leads to lots and lots of long-term health problems, which makes it makes plant-based diet especially good for these, you know, for long-term health and and health span. Um, but it turns out it's it's pretty much the same mechanism that in the short term helps you actually recover faster from your workouts if you can control the inflammation, um, so that you can focus on rebuilding those muscles. And and thankfully the the high nutrient content of a plant-based diet, you know, very very nutrient dense as most of our whole plant foods are, um, while not being so calorically dense. So you get lots of nutrients. In relatively relatively few calories, which means the work of recovery uh, is pretty easy. Your body doesn't have to do a tremendous amount of work to burn all these calories, but it, it gets the the basically the ingredients that it needs to rebuild um, in abundance. So you've got that stuff going for the recovery side of it, and then for actual performance, uh, plant based diet is is known to. I mean, many foods in a plant based diet, I should say, because we can obviously find exceptions if we eat vegan junk food all the time. But whole plants, by and large, they help to dilate blood vessels. They help to lower the uh, viscosity of the blood so that you can get more blood moving through wider blood vessels, um, means you can deliver more oxygen to your muscles. And that's going to lead to not just like better recovery, but better performance in the moment. 
and uh, and studies are beginning to come out and show these sort of things. This is, you know, for the past 20 years has kind of been conjecture that that perhaps a plant-based diet works in this way. Um, but now we're starting to see them. There's a, an interesting study of, of Canadian ultra runners that show that the those eating a plant-based diet um, by all markers, you know, are either better or the same or better than those eating uh, an omnivorous diet. And wow. then even with like the uh, <clears throat> strength in, in terms of bodybuilding or, or putting on muscle, uh, there's, there's one that involves uh, a group of, I think it's younger males, some of them supplementing with, uh, who eat plant-based diets, supplementing with pea protein, some eating omnivorous diets, supplementing with whey protein. And they showed over this eight week, I believe it was eight weeks, maybe it was 12, um, course of, of lifting and, and eating and supplementing that the, that the muscle gains were exactly the same between two groups. And that, that to me is a big one. Like that's just as good as the endurance one, because like I said, we've, we've kind of known the endurance benefit for a while. But it's very hard for people who have this this stereotypical image of vegans as weak and lean um, to you know to, to understand that that you can actually build muscle effectively with a plant based diet just as well as and perhaps in some cases better than uh, with an omnivorous diet. And such an important part is that you can do it while preserving your long term health or even you know optimizing and, and adding to the the potential years years you live rather than than it being a constant trade off. Which so many people for if you're trying to be an elite athlete. Uh, there are trade-offs. The, the way the lifestyle that's required to be at the top of your sport uh, is not not the lifestyle that's required to live the longest and and you know be active the longest and be the healthiest and have healthy good joints when you're older and all these things. Uh, but a plant-based diet really helps to minimize that damage um, and 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 really prolong careers. As Robert mentioned, you get people who bounce back from from you know huge injuries or career-ending uh, you know inflammation or things that they their careers just going downhill and then they go plant-based. Uh, and, and it comes back. And we've seen this with uh, Chris Paul in the NBA, uh, several others like him. And it's, it, perhaps that's, that's the greatest or the most obvious benefit to plant-based athletes is that it's going to extend the amount of time um, with, you know, during which you can to get a be paycheck in your sport. <laughs> and to... often I've heard the expression that the holy grail of athletic performance is recovery. And I think that's the, that's the huge thing because if you can cover quicker, you can train more. And the health, one, uh, one, one question that comes to my mind. So, okay. So plant-based, so all four of us who are talking here have all been plant-based for, you know, decades plus or whatever. So I'm wondering, through your research of writing this book, does plant-based diet, does it make you a better athlete? Because, wait, wait, hang on. I've got another part to that question is, because if you look at tennis, you've got the Williams sisters who are reputed to be plant-based. You've got, I think it's Djokovic, isn't he? Yeah. Who's yep. a world-class tennis player. You've got Lewis <clears throat> Hamilton. In, in motor car, Formula One driving, you've got Messi, who's a footballer. You've got all these alleged kind of yeah. people. Like, what did you find with writing this book? Because obviously writing this book, you had to get into the weeds of kind of going, what do these people do? How are they eating? Does it make me a better athlete if I become plant-based? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's one that we can't, we can't really answer uh, with total accuracy and confidence because there's so many other factors. I mean, you, you still, yes, we can point to all these Olympic gold medalists who are vegan and world champions and Novak Djokovic and, and the Williams sisters and Lewis Hamilton, you've already mentioned, and Messi and Alex Morgan and Chris Paul and some of the best in the world. But there's also many, many, many of the best in the world who are not plant-based. Uh, you know, people who are winning most of the gold medals, people who are winning most of the world championships. And that's largely because of the the number of people who subscribe to a plant-based diet is relatively small. It's maybe 4%, 3% of America, and probably perhaps a, a lower number worldwide. So we just don't have as many, we don't have as many representatives. Uh, but one thing we know that is that it hasn't prevented people. It, a plant-based diet has not prevented people from being the best in the world. 
you know, I personally interviewed probably a dozen Olympic athletes who are plant-based. Megan Duhamel, gold medalist, for example, uh, in the book, and Heather Mitz, a three-time gold medalist, and Rebecca Sony, a six-time medalist, I believe, as a swimmer, and Dotsie Bausch, and so many others. And what we what we found is that, and it's also in line with what our what our style of presenting this idea is that. You know, you can't just say a plant-based diet is just necessarily better. You know, we still need more research. We still need more studies. We still need more facts to come out, more long-term studies, particularly for people who have been doing this perhaps plant-based diet for decades compared to uh, omnivores for decades and really just look at the whole totality of it, the, you know, the longevity of it. But what we've determined is that for the individuals that we have talked to, we have interviewed, this diet and lifestyle has been life-changing. Like for like for Orla Walsh, you know, the, one of the, the the pride of Ireland in track cycling, right? I mean, she completely turned her life around with a plant-based diet. I mean, it changed everything about her life. It changed her body type, her body makeup, her physique, her endurance, her strength, her self-confidence, her her actual biomarkers of health, and she became a national champion in track track cycling, the best in in the entire country in Ireland. And before that, and she's she incredibly was a, strong. A, incredibly strong like having hung yeah. out with Orla if you don't know her she's leaner and stronger than me it's like wow. and, and I don't mean that I'm really strong but <laughs> she was just like was like wow you are very impressive in terms of her athletic prowess and and that wasn't always her story you know she didn't even start track cycling until age 26 and was drinking and smoking and partying during all her you know her later teenage years and early parts of her 20s and it was a non-athlete and then to uh, to come to a plant-based diet and reduce the inflammation and increase her energy and get a higher nutrition to calorie ratio, higher higher total nutrient intake, and uh, and and feel better, and recover faster, and have a higher performance, greater endurance, better lung capacity, better strength, um, and great strength to weight ratio, and go on to be this this national champion of of Ireland. Uh, that's, you know, that's a great example. And there are many, many other examples. And so what we've determined is that a plant-based diet is not going to slow you down. It did, did not stop these individuals from setting world records and like Fiona Oak setting Guinness world records and Rip Esselstyn setting a world record at age 58, I believe. And it's, it's not something that has, has hindered the performance. We can't necessarily say it's, you know, across the board unequivocally better but what we're saying is it's not going to it's not going to slow you down um especially if you do it in a way that reaches your tr- true calorie needs with diversity of nutritional intake and focuses on the foods that have the highest n- nutrition per calorie and that is a diet high in leafy green vegetables fruits legumes grains and some nuts and seeds that is going to give you the great complex carbohydrate fuel that you need, the essential fatty acids that you need, and of course, the elephant in the room, all of the protein that you require in order to maintain and build muscle mass. And that can be achieved absolutely on a plant-based diet. And I I wanna add one more thing to uh, maybe in a bullet point uh, format here. When you ask the question uh, about, you know, so what's in it for the regular person listening in? Uh, you know, why does this diet work? And why does the science now in many cases, like Matt referenced, and we have numerous studies in the book, why does the science now suggest that this works so well? Well, here's a few bullet points. Uh, For one, there's this ANDI score, the Aggregate Nutrient Density Index, which uses 37 factors to determine the most nutrients per calorie of a given food. By and large, leafy green vegetables are at the top of the list. 
these have the most nutrition of any food you can get as far as per calorie basis. And fruits are next and legumes and grains and nuts and seeds. And then you have to go down pretty far to find animal-based foods, processed foods, junk foods, things like that. And so that, that's, you, you get the most nutrition per calorie when you eat a plant-based diet. There's also 64 times more antioxidants in plants than there are in animal foods. Dietary cholesterol, which is the Achilles heel for so many of us as far as our overall health and, and plaque buildup and cardiac issues and things that we may develop as far as diseases and illnesses, is only found in animal protein. It's only found in animal foods. You won't find dietary cholesterol in plant-based food. Fiber, which 97% of Americans, and perhaps a very, very high percentage around the world, do not get enough of, is only found in plants. So the, this thing that we just, most of us just don't even get nearly enough of is only found in plants and something that we get so much more of than we need. Dietary cholesterol, saturated fat is, is primarily found in, in animal protein. And, and furthermore, as Matt mentioned earlier, these anti-inflammatory compounds are prevalent in, in large quantities in plant-based whole foods, whereas pro-inflammatory compounds are largely found in animal-based foods and processed foods. And so when you look at all of that, the most nutrients per calorie, the most antioxidants, uh, no dietary cholesterol, relatively low saturated fat, uh, a great source of fiber, and the high complex carbohydrate intake, which is what our bodies want to run on as fuel, it makes sense that this is a diet that is gonna provide great energy, great recovery, reduce inflammation, uh, be packed full of nitric oxide and, and dilate those blood vessels and get better blood circulation and more nutrition to cells. And that's gonna help with recovery. It's gonna help with overall wellness. And also one thing we didn't mention necessarily yet is that the calorie density of plant-based foods is so low, Matt touched on it, but that is a great way to limit excess body fat. We have this obesity epidemic around the world, particularly in the Western world. And this is by and large a result of consuming hyper-processed, high-calorie foods and consuming a surplus beyond what we're expending. With a plant-based diet, particularly a whole food plant-based diet, you don't really get that calorie excess. You can design it in such a way that you have a calorie surplus combined with resistance training in order to build muscle. But most people that you meet on the street, most people that you, you, you see at the store, walking down the street, anywhere you go, are consuming a calorie surplus largely without even knowing it, just as a byproduct of consuming animals and processed foods and sugary beverages. And, and, and this is a problem that people on a plant-based diet don't necessarily run into. And so you get that that more that leaner physique, the better strength to weight ratio, oftentimes greater endurance, and just a lighter body to perform your sport. And that's been beneficial for even, even big football players like David Carter, who we wrote about in the book, who is a 300 pound athlete as an NFL football player, but dropped weight and got faster and even stronger by just getting rid of some of that excess body fat and was able to build back up and put on more lean muscle and, and be even better at a sport than, than he ever was before with a plant-based diet. So those are a few of the reasons that explain, as we, we have this forward from Dr. Michael Greger at the beginning of the book, where uh, he says something along the lines of, the science explains the results of these athletes, not the other way around. Like the science explains why Chris Paul is having the best years of his career, late, you know, at, you know his mid to late 30s in the NBA, because he's been able to reduce inflammation, have less soreness, 
and train harder, train better, recover faster, and perform at a higher level. The science explains that these athletes are just putting it into practice, right? Brilliant. Amazing. Go plants. Woohoo. Okay. I got a practical question for both of you, and this is two separate ones. So Matt, you're into marathon running. You're into long, long distance running and whatnot. Okay. So say a friend of mine who's just a friend of yours rocks up to you and he goes, Matt, right. I want to run a marathon. I've been eating meat all my life. I want to try this plant-based stuff. What do I do? What do I actually eat? Talk to me. I want to run a marathon. What should I eat? Is what it just hummus and dates and brown rice? Do I just eat rice? chickpeas or what do I eat? <laughs> That's pretty much what I eat. Chickpeas, hummus, brown rice, dates. That, that covers Avocados. my calories. Boom. Uh, the thing is, I don't recommend that anybody start out that way who's brand new to it. I think that's kind of where we go wrong in our in our enthusiasm and passion. We just want people to go vegan overnight and try it. And you know, we start talking to them about all these different salads and amazing greens and uh, bowls and the, and it's just most people just aren't ready for that at the beginning because it's so different from the way that most people are eating. Um, so I, I tend to tell people like just just start as small as you possibly can. I think that is the way to um, you know maximize the likelihood that you you make it. Robert was was kind of an exception, right? He switched overnight and it and it stuck. Uh, we both did the same sort of you know week long or ten day challenge. For me though, that my my challenge was kind of at the end of a of a very long actually in the middle of a very long uh, slow process. I mean it took me like four years to go from completely omnivorous to vegan. Uh, it doesn't need to take anyone four years, of course, but I would just say like at the beginning, like just aim to eat more plants. If, if in your back of your mind is you want to, you want to become plant-based hundred percent one day, which is awesome. If you do um, that's great. But I think the first step is, is aim to just eat more plants. And my favorite way to tell people to do it is start out in the morning. Uh, we're kind of accustomed to eating, uh, you know, the more plant heavy, more fruit heavy, vegetable heavy, foods during the day. And then nighttime is kind of the big hearty, um, you know, meat-based dinner often. So I think like, that's the, that's the thing that I think people have the most trouble giving up is their big comfort meal at the end of the day. So I would say start at the beginning and like, just instead of whatever you currently eat for breakfast and most people eat junk for breakfast anyway. So like, instead of that, just start, eat some fruit instead. And if you want to put it into a smoothie form, that's wonderful. You can get lots more, you know, kind of bonus points with adding in flax seeds and walnuts and even some spinach if you want. Um, but for most people, a, a fruit smoothie tastes pretty good, and you can do it without any kind of yogurt or anything like that. You can just make a, a fruit a smoothie, and uh, you know if you just start off that way and you start eating, you change only a smoothie about your diet. Uh, do that for a week or two weeks, and you start to actually feel good about how you're doing. And then you realize that hey, I'm not actually eating any animal products until lunchtime. And then once you're pretty comfortable with that and you're feeling some of the benefits, you can you can swap that lunch out for. Uh, who knows what? I think like, if you if you can go right to like a giant salad with beans on top and, and find a great dressing like a, a cashew ranch dressing or maybe like a tahini garlic kind of dressing, very very easy to find recipes for plant based dressings online. You can find one that you love, and you can have this really great filling lunch that is again based on mostly raw vegetables. But you can add some beans, you can have some brown rice or something on the side, a roll if you want, like a whole grain roll, and then do that for a few weeks, and then suddenly you're eating only plants up until dinner time and then you know from there i tell people like just when when you're ready and if you're ready then you go further but you don't have to have that like your end in mind doesn't have to be that you're going to go 100 plant-based because i think i think it tends to be kind of toxic the idea that like i can never again eat this food this thing that i love so much this idea that i can never again have that um that that's really hard to to win a, a willpower battle against so I just tend to tell people like, just, just do this and, and enjoy the benefits that you're getting from it. And then eventually those benefits will kind of compel you to want to go further with it. Um, but you don't need to like keep telling yourself, well, I, I have to get rid of this. I, I just think that's not really helpful. 
So as far as like what then, I actually... And then your, your, your favorite top foods that you recommend for an endurance athlete that you've come across time and time again. Yeah, sure. So that's, that's exactly what I was going to get to. Uh, I tend to eat like the, the smoothie for the breakfast and that's, that's walnuts, flax seeds, bananas, strawberries, um, blueberries, uh, mango often in there. Uh, so like just something like that in the morning, I mentioned the big giant salad with like, I like putting chickpeas on top, uh, tahini based dressing, or even if you want like an oil and vinegar, I'm, I'm all good with, with extra virgin olive oil on my stuff. Um, some people don't, don't do that, but that's, that's cool. And then for dinner, I'm a huge fan of like the, the grain, green and bean combination. So if you don't know what to make for dinner, often you can stare at a pantry, have no idea what you're going to make. And if you think, okay, how can I make a green, green and bean out of this? Oftentimes that can take the form of just the, the bowl where you combine those things. Um, might be brown rice for your grain, might be tofu for your, for your, uh, uh, bean. Cause tofu, of course is from, from soybeans. And maybe, you know, maybe some, some sauteed kale as your green. And now you've got a little Asian bowl. Um, so like that's, that's one way to do it. Green green bean can also be a stir fry where you've, again, you've got tofu or some kind of beans. You've got some vegetables. Again, you got the brown rice or quinoa if you want. Um, could be a stew that has, I don't know, potatoes, uh, some kind of pinto beans. And then your, your green stirred into that. There's lots and lots of forms this thing can take. Tacos is another good one. Um, so like these are the foods that I tend to eat. As far as specific actual foods, not just meals, dates are a great fuel. You guys mentioned that earlier, but that's that's a, a perfect, that's like nature's energy gel uh, and it'll keep you going. It'll get very quickly into your bloodstream. So like, even if you're not a runner, just a pre-workout meal of, of two dates uh, or a mid-workout meal of a date or two, usually like just the medjool dates, each one has like 15 grams of carbohydrate and it's very quick digesting sugar that's gonna fuel you almost immediately. Um, those are really good foods for that. Uh, I do eat a ton of hummus. I think it's good on anything. It's it's like, I don't know, like whenever I get in that mode where, and this is more in the old days, not so much now, but I used to think about protein a lot more and it would be like, I want to just make sure I'm having protein with every meal. Then it's really easy kind of to fall into the the thing where you're not, where you're only eating the carbohydrate food. So like, I would just start putting, if I was going to have a bagel, put hummus on it. If I'm going to have some chips, dip them in hummus. And then you suddenly like add the, this really good, healthy component to these meals that otherwise aren't so good. And hummus is pretty dense in calories. It's got it's got the the fats usually from the tahini, possibly oil if you use that. Uh, it's got, of course, the chickpeas in there or any other bean that you're using. Like these are fairly calorie dense plant foods. So if you if you suddenly are putting that into your body um, along with the the less healthy part, which might be the bread from the bagel or the chips, you're going to eat less of the of the less healthy part, and you're going to now have this extra you know super healthy food going into your body. So uh, yeah, hummus, dates, mangoes. Um, I don't oh, know, I broccoli I tend to do a lot. So th- yeah, those are those are my favorites. Boom. Boom. Marth nailed. Okay, Robert, over to you. Muscles. Okay. So we we've had lots of friends of ours that are into like, you know, we're all we all want to look good. And like many of us want to have bulging muscles. And, and as modern day culture has become more and more aesthetic. It really is. It's focused. become so much more gym focused than when we were 20. Like I see 20 year olds now and they're all going around with tight shirts. A lot of them are, go- a lot of young men are going around with tight shirts and muscles. And it's kind of seems so focused in our culture. So for anyone who's out there that wants to put on muscle and is kind of going plant-based, no way. Like tofu, I'm going to be a twig. How do I become like ripped on a plant-based diet? And is it possible? What do I have to eat? Do I have to take loads of protein shakes? Pea powder? What's pea powder? Yeah, that is that is a great question. And probably the question I've fielded the most, not only as someone who has put on 100 pounds and become a champion bodybuilder after being 
a champion endurance runner as a, as a vegan the entire time, but just in the space of being a vegan bodybuilder and writing vegan bodybuilding books and being on a speaking tour for 15 years, no doubt that question is going to come up a ton. And really there's a, a simple answer. If you want to build muscle and gain muscle mass, you have to eat in a calorie surplus, meaning eat more calories than you burn, consume more than you expend, and combine that with resistance weight training. That's the short answer. And do that wow. consistently over time, day in and day out. Nobody gains muscle overnight. No one just gets big and strong overnight. Just like you don't uh, lose weight overnight for New Year's resolutions. You don't just drop 50 pounds overnight or you don't become obese overnight. It's a combination of accumulated actions that are taken day after day after day. What you do with the 1,440 minutes you have every day is going to determine your outcome, including in fitness. Very clear examples, very clear examples are when I was a endurance runner, you know, I had a very low body weight. I was, I was just, that's the style of my training. I wasn't eating as much because I wasn't trying to build muscle. I was just trying to get fuel and then replenish afterwards. And that was all well and good. And then guess what? If you don't know this part of my story, I switched to follow my new passion, which was building muscle and lifting weights. And with all the enthusiasm I could muster, and I was really enthusiastic, I went after I could well it. And imagine. For whole, and for a whole year, I trained. I was pumped. I looked at muscle magazines. I was flexing in the mirror. I was ready. And after a whole year, I gained one pound. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it was laughable. It was epic failure. And it was this was back in 1999, 2000. I was 20, 21 years old. It was easy to say, you know what? this doesn't work. A plant-based diet doesn't work for building muscle. But then I had, had to dissect it a little bit. Do something, this audit that I've been talking about for 25 years now that most people are not doing, which I'm going to explain very, very clearly today because this will solve anyone's issue with building secret muscle. Secret to putting on muscle. Anyone. This is the secret to putting on muscle. It's this coming is it. right up. Come this on, Robert. This is it. This is it. So I discovered... Uh, at that age, you know, in the late 90s, the Body for Life program, Bill Phillips created this program. He said, listen, you got to train six days a week, but never more than an hour, never more than an hour, just 46 minutes, 52 minutes, you gotta, but you got to train consistently. And you've got to do this weight training with some drop sets and supersets and, and, and all that. Okay, I followed the program. But more importantly, he said, listen, you got to eat six meals throughout the day. And this is how you're going to reach your calorie intake needs in order to elicit the muscle building and the mass building and put it on size that you're looking for. You've got to eat in this surplus. And a way to do that is just to eat consistently throughout the day. Because if you have one really big meal, meal here, and then you kind of snack all day long, and maybe one other meal at the end of the day, uh, that may be great for overall health and longevity and all of that. But you may not consume the, the requisite calories needed to build muscle. And so I changed my approach. I documented all my calorie intake. I, I, I tracked everything I was doing. And guess what? Nothing had changed. I wasn't any older. I was literally one week older than after a year of failure. And I followed this program. I put on 19 pounds in 12 weeks because it was a 12-week program. But I thought, why stop there? Keep going. I put on another 10 pounds, uh, or, or, let's see, uh, or nine pounds over the next few months. So I gained 28, 28 pounds in 10 months. And that was while I was going to school and very stressful situations academically and all that. And then I went on to discover bodybuilding, put on another 10 pounds, became a champion bodybuilder, and then again, put on more and more and more and, and had complete control, which I have to this day. 
I have to this day, I have control of what my body is going to be like, what I'm going to weigh, how I'm going to lose weight and, and, and build muscle. And I'll, and I'll tie that in in just a moment. So here's, here's the key. Here's the secret. I didn't know it then when I did the, the Body for Life program with Bill Phillips. I discovered it many years later, this Harris-Benedict equation, this Harris-Benedict calculator. What it basically is, is your basal metabolic rate combined with your activity, which is your calorie expenditure beyond just existing, sitting in a chair or lying in bed, you know, which we, we do burn some calories through metabolism, through burning, you know, just through heat, um, through existing. So you take this Harris-Benedict calculator, which is based on your gender, age, height, weight, and very, very importantly, activity level. And if you plug that in, just you know, Google it, and it's going to say, okay, Robert, based on being this, uh, this, this male, 41 years old, six feet tall, 220 pounds, incredibly handsome, uh, who <laughs> exercises... No, that's not a category. Sorry, that's a different one. Um, who exercises five days per week, you're, you are going to burn... 3,100 calories per day. Wow. How important and effective is it to know that? So guess what? For me being, you know, close to 220 pounds as a six foot tall male who trains five days a week, I have to consume 3,100 calories per day just to maintain muscle mass. And if I want to build, if I want to get bigger and stronger, I've got to consume more than that, maybe 3,500 calories per day and have that accumulate and compound over time. That's an extra, you know, five, four or 500 per day, which would be all, you know, thousands throughout the week and th many thousands throughout the month. And yes, we got a question there on the back. Okay. Uh, of those, so if you want to go from 3,100 calories to, well, 3,100 calories to 3,500 calories, like what extra foods do you eat? Like, what are the high protein foods? Oh, yeah, like absolutely. For, the, for the person, absolutely. like, that, is it? That's the crazy thing. And I do want to touch on that. It's not guzzling down protein drinks or emphasizing this high amounts of, of protein or anything like that. It's just consuming a little bit more of each, you know, each thing throughout the day, a little bit more blueberries on your oatmeal, or maybe a little bit extra oatmeal, a little bit more rice, or maybe putting uh, black beans and, uh, and pinto beans on your burrito bowl. Or it's an extra half a sweet potato, or maybe it's adding walnuts to a meal, a salad that you weren't going to put them on. That's how easy it is. The or add a meal. As soon as, sorry, like right, right when you get up, add a meal rather than waiting an hour until you eat, or right before bed, eat a tablespoon of peanut butter or something like that. Like for me, it's much more about eating, just increasing the frequency of eating than the quantity at any given meal. Um, it's just, I don't know, somehow like I can always find room for an extra little snack somewhere, usually at the beginning or end of the day. It seems like it seems like a total paradigm shift that like so much of our society, at, at least for in, in the kind of topic of elite performance and the topic of, you know, muscle mass, protein of prime importance, which it means um, is, is just synonymous with that. But what you're saying there is it's not necessarily about protein. It's simply Absolutely about not. consuming extra calories. Absolutely. It's, it's about, it's about extra calories, but the source of those calories. Okay. We're not just saying you can't just drink Coca-Cola, extra 500 calories of Coca-Cola. You can't just have extra 500 or a thousand calories of donuts, or maybe a little bit of beer, or maybe, you know, cookies or crackers or breads. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about, whether you're talking Matt's example, just add an extra little meal here, you know, have an extra, you know, snack bar or something that has 220 calories in it, maybe one, to start the day and when to finish the day at 10 hours apart. And that's your extra 500 calories. The idea is that no matter what your calorie intake needs are, uh, you know, again, mine was just my personal example of 3,100. For most people, it's probably less than that. Most people probably don't 
weigh as much or, or exercise as much and maybe something much different. But the quest of building muscle and putting on size has to do with eating a calorie surplus combined with resistance training and doing that consistently over time. And, and that is going to give the result. Not everybody gets enough protein if you reach your calorie needs. That's the thing. If you reach your calorie intake needs, your true calorie intake needs, you are consuming enough protein. And if you say, well, I, I want to put on muscle mass, I need to eat extra protein. It's not, it's not saying eat an extra higher percentage of your calorie intake from protein. It's have a little bit extra food, eat some extra surplus calories. And as long as you're exercising, that's going to go to, to good use. And here's, I told you, I was going to give you a few more examples. You heard the example when I first got into bodybuilding, complete failure. I figured it out. I changed my calorie intake and I went on to become this champion bodybuilder who even competed at the INBA natural bodybuilding world championships 15 years ago. I had no business being there, no business walking up on stage, but I figured this out, right? So there've been times where uh, I've been, I've been injured, uh, you know, from weight training. It happens sometimes, especially if you do it for decades. And so I've been there where I have not trained for five months. You know, just my, my herniated discs in my back, spine was injured, couldn't even put on socks or shoes or tie my shoes or pick up my little 10-pound chihuahua, back was injured. But I was still eating like a 200-pound bodybuilder. And my, and my body fat went up through the roof. Why? Because I wasn't expending the calories that I used to. I wasn't going to the gym five days a week. I wasn't doing the extra dog walks. I wasn't doing the extra stairmaster for cardiovascular training. So when you change one of those dynamics, when you change your behavior, your the, it results immediately on your on your body, on your physique. And so I was actually clinically obese a few years ago. I didn't I didn't take a lot of photos back then because I was it was kind of a depressing time for me. I was injured. I couldn't do what I'd done my whole life. I took that time to write a, write a book and try to find some inspiration from that. But the resulting impact was because I was not expending those calories. I was eating a massive surplus. And because I was a little bit depressed, as a result, I was eating frozen burritos and, and less nutrient-dense foods and just tons of extra calories because I, I, I worked so hard to become 200 pounds because I started at so low, barely over 100 pounds. It meant something to me. I, I wanted to maintain it, but what that led to was me being clinically obese, and that was a result of my actual behavior. And then and one last example was during this book launch. Uh, the plant-based athlete you may have heard became a New York Times bestseller, became a number one international bestseller. It was a number one seller on Amazon in four categories and the 15th most popular book in the entire world at its peak. That took an incredible toll on me. Matt and I did as many as 22 radio interviews in a single day. I was working 15 hours every day. And I have to admit, and I hate to admit it because you know, being a fitness author and a champion athlete, I only went to the gym once in 44 days during the book launch, which we're still Whoa, on the table. The irony. The, the, the irony because- That's hilarious. Just like I wanted to be one of the best in the world at what I did as a vegan bodybuilder, I dedicated my life to it. I wanted to be one of the best in the world as an author and get this message out there. I dedicated my life to it. Guess what happened? I lost nearly 20 pounds in just a month and a half. I'm still building back from that. That's, you know, I'm, I'm not wearing a tank top or, you know, have my sleeves rolled up like you guys today. I, I, that psychological impact of, man, this was tough. But that again is a result of my behavior. I was eating a calorie deficit. I was, on, I was doing interviews all the time or writing, you know, magazine interviews or articles or social media. I wasn't eating or training. 
And the result was I lost weight like crazy. I'm just now building it back up at, you know, a week return to the gym. And so I, I have to make that point because so many people have either New Year's resolutions or goals that I'm going to build muscle and get bigger and stronger, but they're not doing it consistently. They're not, they're not eating a calorie surplus. They're not aware of their calorie consumption whatsoever. They're not as consistent in the gym as they think they are. They're like me. I was in California the last few days for a family anniversary. I didn't train once, you know, that was four days because things come up, family, weekends, you, you, you know, anniversaries, ill, long work days, whatever. So what we have to do if we want to build muscle is be aware of those environmental factors around us and, and be consistent and make the most of it and make sure we're eating a surplus combined with weight training. And you can absolutely make it happen. Question. Very cool. I love okay. that, Robert. I Great know, answer. I want to know what you both think of. Okay, so, and what you found from the 60 people you interviewed for this book, like protein powders, they're prolific across the planet. You know, they really are like, and mostly whey protein powders. And it seems to be like, you know, young teenage boys seem to like, you know, if it doesn't have pro, they're just like, it's such a thing. Like about, it's an obsession. It's an obsession. Like we live in a protein obsessed culture and it seems to be protein powders and chicken breasts. These are the main sources. Or what egg whites. What did you find with writing this book about protein powders, about the athletes, world-class athletes and protein powders? And what are your own experience with this? That's a big question. Yeah, so you used the word paradigm shift, I think, earlier or something like that. Uh, that's that to me is what you get when you like if you leave in the back of this book, there's a section that is the day in their life. So 25 of the athletes, best in the world, get told you exactly what they eat, morning till night, around workouts, during workouts, all that stuff. Certainly some of them use protein powders, but when you a lot of people ask us, like, what are the big themes that you noticed from how these athletes eat? It's not protein powder. That's not the theme of this. It's not an obsession with protein. It's none of that. The things that that they have in common are they eat plant-based diets. And they eat largely eat whole foods. Some of them, you know, are doing the Beyond Burgers and things like that for protein, um, and because they taste good. But but largely, it's people focused on on whole plant foods. And I think that's so so important because Robert and I get, we get in these interviews and we start talking, and it's very easy for us. And it, this is really exemplary of the fact that it is sort of a paradigm shift. Like we forget to talk about protein when we talk about adding these extra calories to your diet um, and and the foods that we're we're choosing to get these extra calories. Like people ask about then, well then, okay, so how much protein did you add or how much that it's like, like I forgot, like I eat beans all the time because they're a blue zones food. They're like the single blue zones food that is, that is most common to, to all the blue zones. Um, they're very high in fiber. They're just incredibly micronutrient rich. Um, they happen to have protein in them and, and be a, you know, decent protein food as far as plant-based foods go. But that, that has nothing to do with why I eat beans. So it's, it's the same with every other food we eat. We choose these foods because we want to hit the calorie number that we're aiming for. And we want to do it with foods that are very rich in micronutrients. That, that largely is the paradigm that we're eating under. Uh, what, you know, how it ends up, it's like if, you, if you're combining plant-based foods and you're just doing it in sort of a, uh, I don't know, reasonable fashion, you're going to end up with somewhere in between 55 and 70% of your calories coming from carbohydrate. And you're going to end up with somewhere between 10 and, and 13 or 14 or 15% of your calories coming from protein. And you're going to end up with the rest coming from fat. Uh, it just happens. And to me, that's, that's not the point. Um, and that's, I think most of these athletes are, there are some of them for sure, especially the bodybuilders who are really concerned about um, physique and, and they don't want to add, you know, they want to control the, the body fat that gets added, which is just a little bit less of a concern for other athletes um, who I think are more concerned with, you know, the performance and, and maybe changing body fat by, 
a quarter of a percent or half a percent isn't going to affect their performance the way it will for a bodybuilder who's on stage being judged on that. So I think the bodybuilders will tend to focus on the macronutrient ratios a little bit and, and specifically the protein because uh, that's how they control that stuff specifically. But the other athletes who are interested in recovery and, and, and optimal performance in the moment, uh, I think they eat more like Robert and I do, which is just uh, make sure what you're putting in, make sure you're hitting the calorie needs that are going to keep your weight where it is, assuming you're, that's what you're trying to do, uh, and do it with foods that provide tons and tons of micronutrients, the high Andy aggregate nutrient density index foods. Uh, so many plant foods are that. So like it's, it's do that. The, the protein carbon fat numbers end up where they do. It's always going to be, or almost always going to be within that range that I said. Uh, and, and I think it's just a very different way of thinking about eating when, when you're putting in all these foods that are all so individually rich in micronutrients, the combination of them doesn't really matter that much. Okay. Uh, was there anything that surprised you with, the, with interviewing all these athletes? Like, were there any kind of hit? Like even myself, I, I, I saw on the, on the, your book, you got uh, T. Colin Campbell. I remember like Colin coming out to our cafe one day and it was like meeting a hero. It was like meeting yeah. a religious leader for me. This ago. is about 10 years ago. And he did a talk with us. And I remember sitting down and having lunch with him. And I was so expected. He's, oh, he's just going to get kale from the shop and he might just have a little <laughs> bit of brown rice. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling a bit guilty here sitting here eating my vegan lasagna here. And he just plowed into everything. And he was such a joy to be around. And he said, <laughs> it's not like it's not, it's what you do every, most of the time that counts. There's no perfect. And it was just yeah. so, it was so comforting. And I've met a number of people like that, that have admired over years, elite athletes. And suddenly you realize they're not perfect either. They're just like me too. Yay. Or a friend who wrote a book about sugar, about staying away from sugar. And then we had chocolate afterwards and whatever. And you're kind of going, no, oh, that's great. That's kind of refreshing. They're human. Did you find that these elite athletes, there was a humanist to how they ate plant-based or were they extremely strict and 100%, you know, perfect. functional? Yeah, that's, I'd love to touch on that briefly because I have some, some great examples like you guys just shared. So I've, I've had this mindset of perfectionism myself on a plant-based diet because I have the, I've had the endorsements of Dr. T. Colin Campbell and Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. endorsing my books for years. And, and I see them as absolute heroes. And you can throw Dr. Michael Greger in that mix and a few others where I thought I have a responsibility to eat and live perfectly because they have put their name on my work. I, I have to do that. And, and, and I felt that pressure. And then I went on this vegan cruise that I've been on for 10 years now that Colin Campbell's a speaker on and Cobble Esselstyn and Michael Greger and Brenda Davis and many others. And what I found was that I could be up there at midnight in the cafeteria, in the cafe, uh, you know, on the, one of the top decks of the ship. And, and there was Dr. T. Colin Campbell eating vegan pizza at midnight, something that I thought I had to hide in the corner so he wouldn't see me doing. And I have a, <laughs> and, and I have a photo on the, on the pool deck with hundreds of people around. It's a photo of, of me and Michael Gregor. I'm wearing a Superman shirt and he's got a, a plate with pizza on it that's half eaten. The, and and, and the, the, the day that I had dinner with Michael Gregor and asked him, you know, I was nervous, you know, even though I've known him for 10 years, I was nervous when I asked him to write the forward for the book. It was in Tucson, Arizona. I was, man, I was nervous about it. Sat across the table from him and we were eating, eating dinner and he said, okay, let's go. Time to go get ice cream. And I thought, oh, okay, there's, there's some flexibility in this diet that these guys, you know, do have a little bit of flexibility. They're not perfect, except for maybe Dr. Esselstyn. And what we found was that was the same with the athletes. <laughs> and I want to touch on protein quickly because Matt talked about it, but there were numerous athletes that I interviewed who were Olympic medalists, some of the best in the world, 
who weren't even consuming protein powders. Do you know why? One of their reasons was that they were afraid they may fail drug tests in the Olympics and it wasn't worth it. Because so many factors, you know, whether it's hemp seeds or something in there that could uh, cause them to maybe potentially fail a, a, a drug test, whether that fear is warranted or not, the fact remains that some of these athletes, men and women alike, went on to be some of the best in the world, Olympic medalists, world champions, and were not consuming protein powders. And so that that, that was a little bit surprising, I think, to me, perhaps, and, and maybe to Matt. And but what was it as equally surprising was that I've been in the space for more than 25 years and been around a lot of athletes. And I expected them all to eat kind of the same, like Brendan Brazier, you know, who kind of set the standard for a lot of us, you know, heavy amounts of leafy greens and, and these exotic nuts and seeds and quinoa and blueberries and flax seeds and walnuts and hemp seeds and all this stuff. And as Matt mentioned, no, some of them are eating Beyond Burgers and they're setting international powerlifting records, being the, some of the strongest people on the planet. And, and Ben and, and Jerry's and, vegan, right? The ice cream. Yeah, Ben and Jerry. It, yeah. it, was, it was really, really funny. I did not expect to see that coming. It was almost like we have this endorsement in the book for Ben and Jerry's. And it was like, I, I wasn't even sure if we could, we should include it, but that was authentic. That was genuine. That was, these athletes focus so much of their, their, so much of their effort, their training, their calories on good positive steps that lead to improved performance, that they have a moment of winding down and have uh, you know, ice cream at night. I was almost embarrassed and reluctant to share that I like to eat popsicles, you know, at night before bed, you know, a little popsicle before bed after a long day of working and training and being in the sun. I thought maybe I shouldn't put that in the book. You know, I don't want a sneaky little people. popsicle going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. No, I mean, it's, it's What's your favorite flavor? Uh, favorite flavor is uh, probably like a, like a raspberry, like a raspberry or cherry Ooh, kind of flavor. Nice. But 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 I put that in there and so did other people. And that was a little bit surprising too, that we all are, we're all pretty human. We're all pretty normal. And and it really hit me like seeing T Campbell and, and Gregor having pizza and being with Brendan Brazier where he's eating like an entire thing of vegan ice cream. I didn't even think, think he touched it, but he was having it at a, at, a, at a party celebrating, you know, one of his release of one of his products. And I realized that Matt does the same thing. I do the same thing that we're all human. We just prioritize these plant-based whole foods as the foundation of our diet. And, uh, and if there's one last thing I can, I can mention about protein, because I think this is the number one topic people want to talk about. I, I had so much fun writing about the history of our protein obsession, uh, especially in the Western world in the book. There's an entire section on it about how it became this obsession as this nutrient that was revered in the early 1900s that was the supposed to be the, just the essence of life itself, as Dr. Campbell talks about, and post-World Wars, uh, making sure our families had enough of it and the masculinity attached to it to go hunting and bring something home that's going to feed for families for a long time and the, the rise of television and commercials and fast food restaurants and family diners and TV dinners and microwaves and the, and, the, and commercialism and the byproduct of of cheese making which left you know way as as this this throwaway substance we realized we could powderize and sell and package and 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 market in muscle magazines and sell to would-be wannabe bodybuilders and make it a, over our 100 billion dollar sports nutrition industry in present day there's a whole history behind it but guess what anyone listening there's a very good chance everyone everyone listening here that you have never met 
in your entire life, in any place you've been, concerts, sports venues with tens of thousands of people, the, these countless thousands of people you've met walking down the street, you've never met anyone with a true clinical protein deficiency because it simply doesn't happen unless there's inadequate access to calories, you know, star, you know, food desert or starving populations, you, you can't get access to food, po extreme poverty or eating disorders or something like that. There's almost none of us have ever met anyone with a true clinical protein deficiency, yet it's the nutrient that we obsess about more than anything. Yet, every single one of us has met more people than we could ever count who consume more protein than they need, particularly more animal protein than they need. So here is this nutrient that everybody essentially gets enough of. And we don't know anyone who doesn't get enough of it, yet we have been marketed this idea that we need to consume more and more and more of it. And a lot of it in the form of processed meats is a class one or class two A carcinogen. As Matt often talks about, you know, whey has an impact on insulin-like growth factor one. Casein, as Dr. T. Colin Campbell said, is maybe the most carcinogenic substance ever identified. We now have people uh, across the world. Uh, cancer is maybe, you know, one in two of us will get it. And largely, you know, it comes from a lot of these, these dietary choices. And obesity, you know, one in two or diabetes, one in three, whatever the case is, a lot of this comes back to these foods that are that are carcinogens, that are problematic because we've been convinced, whether we're active athletes or not, that we need more of it. And it's one of the greatest marketing campaigns the world has ever known. And that's even why we're talking about it today. Rather than talking about total calorie intake versus expenditure and the source of those calories and having the highest nutrients per calorie consumption and alkaline forming and away from the processed foods and the animal protein and away from the anti- uh, or the pro-inflammatory foods and focus on anti-inflammatory foods, we don't talk about it. We talk about how many protein drinks we need or how much tofu we need because it's high in protein or how much beef or chicken or fish because it's high in protein. Wow. But it comes with a lot of baggage. You have to look at its total utility in its totality. If we emphasize and prioritize one particular nutrient, what, what other baggage does it bring with it? And in the case of animal protein, guess what it brings? It brings dietary cholesterol, often saturated fat, tons of excess calories, possibly class one or class two A carcinogen, uh, uh, the ability to damage endothelial cells and create plaque buildups in arteries and lead to cardiac issues. And it also prevents us from filling up on more complex carbohydrates that have the highest amounts of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber, and water, nitric oxide. And that is what we need for athletic performance, for longevity, and for health. And we need to stop worrying about protein and worry about overall nutrition. I think that's a great place to land the ship. Jeez, you're great lads for the nutrition. Like, you know, your data is like, woof. I love it. Really, really love it. Lads, Very you've been impressive. so refreshing. And your book, congratulations. It's beautiful. It really is like a capstone piece of work that I think people will turn to time and time again. So really, congratulations. Where, where can people pick it up or uh, any remarks about your book that you'd love to share? I mean, yeah, it's called The Plant-Based Athlete. You can get it, of course, on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble. It's in a lot of independent bookstores. Uh, if you are abroad, not in the U.S., um, Book Depository is a good place to get it until you know until it gets published in your, your local language or area. Uh, and we are getting a bunch more. We just found out we got a Korean publishing deal, a Spanish deal, uh, Italian we've already had, German. It's, it's getting everywhere, uh, which is really, really cool. But all those places, you should find it. Uh, and if they don't have it, ask for it. It's, it's a New York Times bestseller, so it shouldn't be too hard for people to, 
to get their hands on somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more info at book.nomadeathlete.com. If you go over there, you can uh, you can get some some cool bonuses and things when you when you pick it up. And, Congratulations, and lads! Really, 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 congrats. My, my well, Robert had one thing to oh, say. Sorry, there. Robert, carry on. No, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. And and it, it's had, you know, we spent two and a half years on it. We worked like crazy on this. It's had hundreds of five star reviews. And I just even wandered into a, a popular bookstore in another town, and and they literally said we, they said we've had thousands of people asking about this book. It's not really thousands, but that's what they said. They said this book has been so popular. Uh, that it just resonates with people. And, you know, we thank everyone who's come before us that the, the, the paved the way for this book, The Plant-Based Athlete, to do so well, including the game changers and the work that they did to make this more mainstream. So, so you can find it pretty much anywhere now. We are getting international book deals every week, and it's just super exciting that, who would have thought? Can you, you can imagine, uh, like from my perspective, a farm kid 25 years ago to, to think 25 years later, I could co-author one of the most popular books in the entire world, and it would be about being a plant-based athlete. It's unbelievable how far we've come. And, and Gregor and Campbell and so many others are, are a big part of that. And, and you guys you guys have been, I mean, doing such great work for so long. And I when this book was still being finished, like you guys, I was saying the happy pair, the happy pair, we got to get on that show because- <laughs> right, remember that you guys have such a great platform and to be able to help take this idea, this concept of thriving as a plant-based athlete and taking that to a wider audience is what helps change the world. And so you guys providing this platform for us is something we are incredibly grateful for. And it's a goal that we've had for a long time. So to just be here with you guys is just, it's so rewarding. And for you to be supportive of the book and, and ask great questions. Uh, I know uh, Matt and I are both just so pleased. Oh, thanks so much. Delighted. Thank you, lads. Thanks so much for taking the time. Congratulations with all your success. And, and we look forward to, to hanging out someday in the flesh. Eating yeah, some definitely. ice cream together, vegan ice cream. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> there we go. Great. Thanks, lads. Cheers, lads. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, Thanks guys. so much. I don't know about you, but I'm going out training after that. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to eat some more whole foods. Whole food, whole foods. Uh, no, I hope you're well, What a great, great conversation. Genuinely, as I said at the start, I wasn't over, this is Steve here, I wasn't overly excited about, ah, oh, this is, I've heard all this, but genuinely, that was a fascinating conversation. I feel inspired. I loved the fact that Robert mentioned at one point that it's not about protein, it's about consuming extra calories and ensuring that they're coming from highly nutritious sources. That's in, terms of putting on muscle. in terms of putting on muscle as opposed to moving beyond our I like the bit that they said that there is no perfection, that it's your foundation is whole foods, but then if you want a bit of ice cream, go for it. And it's quite refreshing to hear all these like expert, nutritional, elite superheroes in our world, anyway, you're Dr. Gregor's, all these doctors, and they all enjoy a bit of ice cream too. So that's refreshing. That's vegan ice cream. Um, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Um, and we really hope you're enjoying our podcast. It's become our new project, our new kind of shiny penny in our in our little bag, something that we enjoy so much. We find it as a wonderful, you know, outlet for us to learn more about life. And we hope that you, the listeners, um, are really enjoying it too and find it such a fun journey. So please let us know on social media, you know, guests you'd like us to get on in the future, areas you'd love us to explore and just general any feedback. And if you share the episodes in your Instagram stories, we'll just reshare them. You know, we oh, and also if, if you do have the time to give it a five star rating on Apple, we would be very grateful too. Yes. Thank anyway, you. thanks for listening. If you made it this far, we're so grateful. We love this. Really and, are. Uh, you know, we wish hopefully, you... hopefully we get to meet you someday. Yeah. So thanks lots of love. Cheers. Mind yourself. Bye. Bye. Oh, bye. by the way, we swim in the sea at sunrise any day so or every day. So, you know, come join us if you're ever around this way. There we go. Random invitation from Steve. Right. Mind yourselves. Cheers. Bye, 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 bye.